Hey, well, welcome uh, to our online experience and happy Father's Day. If you happen to be with your father, you might want to say it out loud to him, right? Happy Father's Day to you and hopefully you have a good weekend together. Uh, when I think about Father's Day, uh, I think this, dads can be awesome, right? Dads can be, and a lot of you would say that, and you have awesome dads. Uh, dads can be peculiar at the same time, right? You would agree with me on that, right? Look at your dad and say, you're awesome and peculiar at the same time. The truth is, uh, when you're younger, you kind of make fun of a lot of different things your dad does, right? I mean, I know that my kids, when they're not around me, they talk and make fun of things I do. I know that. I am aware of that. I'm comfortable with it, right? I'm okay. I'm secure in it. But the truth is, dads are awesome and peculiar at the same time. As you get older, that's when all of a sudden you start to realize the awesomeness, right? But like when you're younger, it's like, man, that's kind of weird. Here's what's interesting. What's interesting to me is some of the things that I thought were peculiar about my dad when I was younger, as I've become a dad and the older I get, I find that I'm doing some of those peculiar things. I always thought it was weird that every time my dad sat in a chair to watch TV, he fell asleep. Guess what? Every time I sit in a chair to watch TV with my wife, I fall asleep. Or I'd watch my dad, he'd take off his socks at night and he'd smell them. I'm like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Guess what? Every time I take my socks off, I smell them right? It's like the things your dad does that you think are peculiar, you end up doing, right? My dad did this weird thing when I was growing up, like, this is crazy, right? We stand out in the yard, he'd wave at everybody, right? He's just the friendliest guy you'd ever want to meet, right? But then an airplane would go over and he'd like, hey, and he's waving the airplane, might be somebody on there we know. The other day I'm out in the yard with my grandson, an airplane goes, like, hey, let's wave. There might be somebody on there we know, right? See, dads are awesome and peculiar at the same time. And the older you get, the more you realize the awesomeness, right? Even you realize the, the peculiarities are things that maybe you have somehow absorbed in your own life. My dad was an impressive man. I, I didn't realize it when I was younger. And don't get me wrong. If you were to meet my dad, my dad's gone now, but if you were to meet my dad, you'd be struck with his rather ordinariness. My dad was a rather ordinary man. Like you would say, what's so impressive, right? I mean, he was kind of short. He had a little pooch stomach. He was a preacher, so we call that a, pulp, a pulpit bumper, right? And that's what he had. Um, he was rather quiet. My dad was kind of a quiet man. And yet the truth is my dad was an impressive man. He, he wouldn't have necessarily made an impressive first impression. He would have made a, a fine. He would have made you feel comfortable. Uh, but I don't know that he was worried about that. You know what my dad, I think, was worried about? I think my dad was worried about not necessarily the first impression, not necessarily that you were impressed with him, but I think my dad was worried about leaving a lasting impression. And I think he did that. And it makes me think a lot about us as a church. As we kind of come out of this time together and we start to regather, here's what I want you to hear me say this weekend. I want to be an impressive church. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying I want people to be impressed with our building, impressed with our programs. I'm not even saying I want them to be impressed with our people. The truth is we're a gathering of rather ordinary people. We're rather ordinary <laughs> I certainly want them to get a good first impression, and we have an incredible team of people that are doing that, parking cars, greeting people, love the work they're doing. But I think what I'm saying is much, much deeper than that. What I'm saying is this, I wanna be an impressive church, and if you're writing things down, I'd write it this way. 
I want to commit to leaving a lasting impression on the next generation. I want to commit to leaving a lasting impression. Here's what we believe at Grace Church. Children are a gift from God. They're a gift from God. The second thing we believe that Corona has kind of helped us realize is that parents are the primary spiritual coaches in their child's life. I had many parents say, wow, this whole time of quarantine has woken me up, so to speak, to realize my responsibility and opportunity with my kids. Parents are the preferred and primary spiritual coaches, and the church is an active and willing partner in that. That's the deal. We believe that. Here's what I think. Now listen, the most important thing about our church today will probably be measured 10 years from today. I really believe that. I really believe that how things are going in our church today will actually best be understood 10 years from today. Think about it. <clears throat> think about 10 years from today. 2030, right? 2030. Say that out loud. 2030. That's crazy, right? I'll be 64. I don't know. Say how old you'll be. How old will you be? I'll be 64. Uh, if you're at home and you're a parent and you got a six-year-old, go find him and look at him. Because in 10 years, that six-year-old is going to be driving you around in a car. That's crazy to think about. If you're watching this and you're a teenager or maybe a young adult, those people that kind of look funny and you make fun of driving the funny minivan, duct tape together and all that stuff with french fries hanging from the rearview mirror, that's going to be you with a whole boatload of kids, right? 10 years will come and go. Some of you 10 years from now, you won't be with us. That's just the truth. Some of you will not be with us. 10 years will come and go quickly. And here's what I believe. We cannot, as a church, we cannot, as parents, we cannot simply be satisfied with making a good impression today. We need to commit to leaving a lasting impression. I think it's what a guy in the Old Testament of the Bible named Asaph was interested in. Psalm 78. If you have a Bible, you want to turn there. Psalm 78. Asaph is talking just about that. He's saying, I want the people of God to make a lasting impression on the next generation. He says, I'll teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors have handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, about his mighty wonders. He goes on to say, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation, why would we do this? So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Asaph wanted the people of God to leave a lasting impression on the next generation. Begs the question, how in the world are we going to do this? Can I give you four suggestions this weekend? Four suggestions, I'm not saying this is exclusive, but four things that I feel very deeply in my heart. First is this, I want you to write it down. It's a long statement. If we're gonna make a lasting impression, we gotta impress their heart, ready? With the wonder of God. Do not just modify their behavior to the rules of the Bible. That is a big statement. We gotta impress their heart with the wonder of God. You see, here's the deal. 
We are at risk of losing the wonder of God when our Christianity simply becomes about following the rules of the Bible. All of a sudden, we lose the wonder of God. We cannot afford to pass on to the next generation a God who is too small, a God who is manageable, predictable, sterile, a bit weak and pathetic. But what we have the opportunity to do is to pass on to the next generation and impress their hearts with the wonder. Let's say it this way, with the wow factor of God. Just say it that way. Impress their hearts with the wow factor of God. It's what Asaph was talking about. He says this, We will tell the next generation, look at this, about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, in his mighty wonders. Listen, I want to tell you something. Even if at first you're like, ah, help me make sense of that. Obeying the rules of the Bible without being captivated by the wonder of God will lead to two things. It'll either lead to empty religion, going through the motions, or it will lead to eventual rebellion. Let parents lean in. You teach Johnny, be good, obey the rules because the Bible says, and you don't somehow impress his heart with the wonder of who God is. It leads to empty religion, sterile, going through the motions, or eventual rebellion. Rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. And what God says is this, if you want to summarize Christianity, it's about Two relationships, love God with everything inside of you. And then out of the overflow of that, love each other. That's what he says. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Being captivated with the wonder of God leads to a lifetime of listening and following the God who has captured your wonder. So if we're going to leave a lasting impression... We go to impress their hearts with the wonder of God. How do we do that? Here's what I would say. <clears throat> wonder is contagiously caught, not just simply taught. You know this already. If you're in a classroom, you ever had this happen? You're in a classroom, teacher's teaching. Maybe they're teaching something important. And then all of a sudden, something happens outside the window. A helicopter goes over. What happens to the kids in the classroom? They do this, right? All of a sudden, they're like, wow. I'm going and then when one kid does it, what do the other kids do? It's contagious, right? They're like, what's got your attention? And they start looking, right? You see, I believe that when it comes to wonder. Our kids, the next generation, is watching and they're listening. They're watching and they're listening. They're paying attention. And impressing their heart with the wonder of God is a matter of show and tell. It's that simple. And if you don't show, then you can't tell. They're watching what it is that has your attention. They're watching what it is that you're mesmerized with. They're watching what it is that you are amazed by. That's literally how we begin to impress their heart. We're going to have to show them. Saying, Dan, help me understand this. Well, let me tell you a couple things. First is this. I would say this. What and how we worship will show them what has our wonder. 
You're saying, Dan, what do you mean by that? I remember as a young adult, I went and uh, somebody invited me to a basketball game in Chicago. Back when I was a young adult, there was this guy whose name happened to be Michael Jordan. He was a really big deal. Played for the Chicago Bulls. Some say the greatest basketball player to ever play. It was my first time ever going to the Chicago Stadium to watch the Chicago Bulls. My friends had been there plenty of times, and so when I went, I'm just taking everything in, and I'm watching people. There came a moment before the game when the lights went down and people went nuts. They went crazy. Lights are going off. Everybody stood to their feet. Everybody screaming. I wasn't sure what was happening, so I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? And my friend said, look, and the spotlight came. They're getting ready to introduce Michael Jordan. Everybody's attention, like everybody's enthusiasm, everybody's excitement. You see, they, there was a wonder that brought them to their feet. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, parents. The next generation is watching to see what gets us on our feet. They want to know what are we amazed by. And if we have a God that's sterile, if we have a God that doesn't ignite enthusiasm, we will never impress their hearts with the wonder of a God in his grace, in his mercy, in his power, in his faithfulness. You see, they're watching what has your attention. They're watching what it is that you worship, who it is that you worship. They're watching, is there an excitement? Is there an amazement? Is there a passion? What has your attention? That's what they're watching. I think there's a second thing. If you want to impress their heart with the wonder of God, who or what makes you move will show you what has your allegiance and your trust? This is so important. Does God make you move? You see, the wonder of God is what causes us to move. That's what the Bible calls faith. Faith without action is dead. That's what it says. You see, here's what I think. The next generation can see through a religion that is simply lip service. When, when God and the wonder of God moves in on our life, it's not an event that we attend. It's an adventure that we go on. Following a God of wonder and power who has a purpose and a passion for this world, we will never impress the next generation with a God who does not change us, who does not move us who does not somehow invite us to take steps of faith we wouldn't otherwise take. Even to take risk we wouldn't otherwise take. To make investments we wouldn't otherwise make. You see, the next generation is watching and to impress them with the wonder of God is to somehow show them this is a God who is not simply a God who's like chicken soup for the soul kind of God. I... I this has always stuck with me. I read this. Uh, many times we want a God who's just comfortable. This is, this is a little thing written by a guy named Wilbur Rees. And he says, sometimes we want $3 worth of God. He says, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk 
or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. See, many times when we accommodate to that and say, I just want enough of God to make me feel kind of warm and fuzzy, we lose the wonder of God who's eternal, all-powerful, who loves us more than we can imagine, who can do the impossible, who sees what we can't see. You see, if we're going to impress the heart of the next generation, it's got to be God who moves us. I think we impress them when they watch they not only see who we worship, that's got our wonder, who it is that moves us, that's got our allegiance and our trust, but they're watching who we turn to when life is hard. If we want to impress their heart, when life gets hard, who do we turn to? Who do we trust? Who do we talk to? You see, we've got to show them if we're going to impress them. And then we've got to tell them. Then we've got to tell them. And we've got to teach them the Bible. yes. Teach them the Bible. But I think there's something even, even just as, if not maybe more important than just teaching them the Bible. We gotta tell them God's story by telling them our story. Somehow we gotta tell them how God's story has changed our story and how God's writing a story in and through us. One of the saddest Verses in all the Bible was found in the book of Judges. It said, after that, a generation died, another generation grew up, look at this, who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Like there was no stories. They, they, they stopped telling stories. If we're gonna impress the next generation and leave a lasting impression, we're gonna have to share our story. Dad's, do your kids know your story of how God saved you? Church, is there anybody who knows your story of another generation of how God has worked in your life? It, it, otherwise, we're going to risk not impressing their hearts. We've got to share our story. You might be sitting here saying, well, I don't got a story. Well, then that's another set of questions. You see, when God has captured my wonder, it moves me to worship, it moves me to faith. He's the one I trust in my trouble. And all of a sudden he starts writing a story and that's the story I wanna share with the next generation. And impress their hearts with the wonder of God, not just good kids that obey the rules of the Bible, but kids who will attach their life to the wow factor of a God who's amazing. So second thing, the second thing is this, if we're gonna leave a lasting impression, we're gonna invest our most precious God-given resources into God's most precious gifts to us, that being kids. Children, Psalm 127.3, you can write that down, says this, children are a gift from God. Children are a gift. Now, some of you are watching this, some of you got newborns at home, right? Last week at our drive-in service, we had a two-day-old child, right? And so when you have a newborn, you're like, oh, you know, you're, you're like, yes, children are a gift, right? So precious, everything's so, so awesome, right? And so some of you are like, yes, children are a gift from God. Some of you right now have toddlers. 
about two, age three, and you're like, okay, children are a gift, but do they come with a manual, right? And then others of you, your kids are in elementary, they're starting to talk back, right? And you're like, okay, I'll give it to you. Children are a gift from God, but is there a turnoff switch, right? And then there's some of you, we're just being honest, like your kids are going into teenage years and you're experiencing a whole new deal. And you're like, if you're honest, somebody's like, okay, I'll agree children are a gift from God, but is there a money back guarantee on this thing, right? You know, like it depends on what phase you're in. And here's what God says in Psalm 127. He says, children are a gift. Newborns are a gift, whether they sleep through the night or not. <laughs> Toddlers are a gift, whether they're bratty or behaved, right? Uh, Elementary school students are a gift. Teenagers are a gift, whether they're going through a hard time or not. They're a gift from God. But here's what I want you to hear me say. They're a gift that has an expiration date. And that sounds terminal, right? <laughs> that sounds awful. But they have an expiration date. And you know why I know that? Because God is pretty clear that we have an expiration date, all of us, for our life. In Psalm, there's a guy named Moses. In chapter 90, he says this. One of my favorite verses, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now stay with me on this. He says, when we count our days, that's when we're gonna begin to make our days count. We got a certain number of days. When you think about it, our life is made up of the time that we're here. And during that time, our life is made up of the talents and the treasures and the things that we have when we're here. And there's really three ways that we can live life. We can waste our life, right? We can waste our life trying to be impressed, right? A party, just something that's going to impress me and I'm going to spend my money to be impressed. Uh, we can spend our life so that other people are impressed with us. Look at how far I've climbed the corporate ladder. Look at how much money I've made. We can spend our life, we can waste our life, or we can invest our life, leaving a lasting impression that will far outlast us. God says that the greatest thing you and I can do with our life is to invest our life in what will outlast our life. Literally to invest our time, our talents, and our treasure, leaving a lasting impression on the next generation. And I would say it this way, particularly while they're impressionable. Particularly while they're impressionable. Children are impressionable. And so I would reread Psalm 90 this way. This is the new Dan Gregory paraphrased version, right? Teach us to number our days with our kids that we may gain a heart of wisdom as parents. Or I'd read it this way as a church. Teach us to number our days with the next generation that we may gain a heart of wisdom as a church. You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we begin to recognize and, and number our days, when we begin to count our days, then we are determined to make our days count. That's why I love the fact here at Grace Church, one of our values is students and children. And, and, and the way we state that value is this, we will unapologetically devote time, energy, and resources to doing everything we can do to make Jesus make sense to the next generation. I love that. We're gonna invest our most precious God-given resources into some of God's most precious gifts to us, our children. There's a third thing. If we're gonna make a lasting impression, we're gonna impress their hearts, we're gonna invest our God-given resources, I'd write this down. The third thing is this. We're gonna invite them to participate in what God is doing right now. We're not just gonna prepare them for later. 
We're certainly going to prepare him for later, but we got to invite him now. Listen, if you're watching this and you're a child, you're a teenager, or you're a young adult, and you're a follower of Jesus, listen close. I want you to hear and remember Pastor Dan said this on this day. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're a child, a teenager, or a young adult, you are not simply the church of tomorrow. You ever heard that? You, my friend, are part of the church today. And I want to say to you, I'm sorry that sometimes we have relegated you to the sideline and in so doing, taken your spirit out of the game. If we want to make sure the next generation keeps moving once we're gone, and we will be gone someday, we need to invite them to participate while we're here. I remember a, a very defining moment for me. I was a teenager. My family had taken a trip to Colorado. We lived in Pennsylvania. And so uh, we drove to Colorado in the car. It was just my mom, my dad, and uh, I was uh, with them. My sister, I think, was with us. And then behind us was my granddad and my step-grandmother. And they were following us in their car. We got to Colorado. I don't remember how many days it took us to get out there, but I uh, had, a, had a good time. But in the middle of that week out there, my step-grandmother uh, took ill, which really threw my granddad a curve. And so he got really anxious and nervous, and it came time we had to come home. We had to come home because she was ill, and he was very upset. And I remember, I was just a teenager. I remember exactly how old I was. But I remember we were so far from home, and I remember my dad looking at me, and my dad flipping my granddad's keys to me and saying, Son, you need to drive them home from Colorado to Pennsylvania. Just follow me. I remember I looked at my dad and like, you want me to what? Like, like, are you gonna be with me? Nope, I'm gonna be in the car in front of you. But I will have you in my rear view mirror. Follow me. And I remember thinking to myself, you want me to drive and the roads in Colorado, I mean the mountains and no guardrails. And I'm like, you want me, you're entrusting me to drive your dad and his wife home? And I remember that moment. And I remember my dad just taking off. And he kept looking in his rearview mirror for me, teenage son, just driving him home. That was a defining moment for me. It's like my dad was inviting me to participate in something that needed done. It reminds me of a story in the Bible. A story in the Bible. Some of you heard of the name Moses great leader in the Bible. I, this story is incredible because he led the children of Israel out of Egypt led them in and through the wilderness 40 years. Incredible story through the Red Sea, all those things. Eventually, Moses died. That's part of the story. Eventually, he died. And when he died, a guy named Joshua took over. Joshua, though, his first move as a leader didn't come when Moses died. He didn't wait till Moses died and say, oh, now Moses is off the scene. Now it's my turn. But if you read Numbers 13 and 14, you look it up, that Joshua had some important parts to play while Moses was still alive. I think it has some major implications for us as a church. Can I list two? I think it's for older and younger generation. First is this. 
to the older generation. You say, who's that? Well, if you're older than any other generation, then you're the older generation. So if you have kids that are younger than you, you're older than that generation. And for those of us of an older generation, listen close. I think this is what this means. It means if we want them to continue to move when we are gone, we're going to need to continue to move till we are gone. Let God decide when your last move is. Don't stop moving until he decides it's your last move. God is the one who decides that. There's a verse in the Bible that I'm going to take some liberty with, okay? Now, just stay with me. It says, Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Listen, let me say it this way. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're old. Don't you look down on you because you're older. Honest to goodness, I would say to the older generation that might be watching this, don't you dare for one minute be okay with, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't be okay with and resort to simply being entertained, to attending events, to watching reruns of Jeopardy. Like, don't be okay with that. God's not done. He's the one who decides when you've made your final move. Now is not the time to sit back and say, well, I put in my time. You ever heard that? Now they can go. The fact of the matter is, we can't expect the next generation to move when we're gone if we don't somehow keep moving while we're here. Now listen to me, Paul did say this to Timothy, he says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, we need to invite the next generation. And I think so many times the reason that we don't do that is this thing, I came across this in a leadership book, we embrace this thing called the freshman principle. You ever... You ever heard of that freshman principle? You're like, what's that? Freshman principle just goes like this. When I was a freshman in high school, I remember coming in and in, in my school, it was ninth through 12. So you were the youngest. But I remember as a freshman, I thought, there's nothing I can't do, right? I went out for football. I'm like, I can play. Give me a chance. Let me prove myself. I'm smart enough. I'm big enough. Like, so like as a freshman, I thought, just let me try. But I remember what happened like as I went through school and I became a senior. And I remember watching the new crop of freshmen come in when I was a senior. And it's amazing how you forget how you feel as a freshman. Because I remember thinking to myself, man, the freshmen don't seem nearly as bright as we were. Don't seem nearly as big as we were. Don't seem nearly as capable as we were. And how easy it is to forget over time. You see, I had that happen to me because I sat in a room full of men. And I was looking to possibly go plant a church in a nearby town. And those men were a group of men that were part of an organization, all of whom at the age that I was at at that particular time were doing significant things in ministry. And I remember each man to a man looking at me saying, you're too young, don't do that. Who do you think you are? I had one man walk across the field just to tell me that I would be crazy to go try to plant a church at the age I was. But there was one man, his name was David Plaster. And he looked me square in the eye and he said, Son, if God's calling you to do this, I'm in your corner. I'm here. You go. You see, here's the deal. We got to invite them to play. 
we got to invite them to participate. Let me just say this. For those of you who might be in the older generation, can I ask you a question? Are you still moving? If not, why not? Why have you stopped? And then can I ask you this? Who's in your rear view mirror that you've invited to move with you? Who do you see? My dad kept looking like, yep, there he comes, there he comes. Who's in your rearview mirror? Who, who is it that is the, listening to your stories? Who is it that's hearing how God has worked in your life? Who is it that is watching you as you walk through the heat of battle? Younger generation is listening. Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you for a minute? We want you to run with us. We need you to run with us. You must do not sell yourself short. Don't you dare resort to thinking that the greatest thing that you can accomplish at this stage of your life is to conquer Call of Duty. Don't relegate yourself to simply saying, my, this stage of life is just simply getting caught up in Instagram drama. Much of the story of the Bible is played out as God used young adults and teenagers to do amazing things. You young adults listening to this, who are the teenagers that are in your rearview mirror that you're investing in, that you're inviting? You teenagers who are listening to this, who are the children that are in your rearview mirror? They're like looking up to you. They think you walk on water. You see, in order for us to make a lasting impression on the next generation, we're going to have to invite them to participate, not just prepare them for later. Last thing, last thing, we'll be quick about this. If we're going to make a lasting impression, we're going to inspire them to live out their story instead of insisting they keep reliving ours. We've got to inspire them to live out their story. You, you know what you call a place that you go to where you simply walk around as people retell and relive old stories? You know what you call that kind of place? You know what you call it? A museum. You go to a museum and you know what happens? You just relive old stories. But you know what you call it when people live out their story in real time, in their culture, and respond to real situations? You know what you call that? You call that movement. The Church of Jesus Christ is never called to be a museum. It's called to be a movement. And if it's going to be a movement, we cannot insist that the next generation just relive our old stories, like the good old days, you remember how it was, but that we inspire them, that we inspire them to live out their story in their time, in their generation, running into it with the hope of Jesus. I love what it says in Joshua. It says this, after Moses died, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Listen close to what I want to tell you. I love this. God said to Joshua, I want you, this is what he's saying, I want you to go where Moses never went. I want you to do what Moses never did. I want you somehow to advance territory that he couldn't. I'm going to write a story, Joshua, and it's going to be your story. And Moses' leadership was important in your life because it inspired you not to sit around and relive his story, but to live out your story 
Moses made a lasting impression. And that lasting impression encouraged Joshua, inspired Joshua to live out his own story of faith. Imagine if Moses insisted that Joshua simply went where he went, did what he did. Imagine Joshua at Jericho when God said, I want you to march around and that's how you're going to conquer. Like, well, Moses never did that. That's not the way Moses did it. If we insist that the next generation keeps reliving our old stories, listen close, simply so they're impressed with us and what we did in our generation, the church of Jesus Christ will become a museum. But if we inspire them to live out their story, we got a movement that looks a little bit like Ephesians 3. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, that's the wonder, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Look at this. Throughout all, say the word, generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want to be an impressive church that impresses the hearts of the next generation with the wonder and wow factor of God. I want to be an impressive church that's willing to invest our most precious resources into something that's going to outlast us, his most precious gifts to us. I want to be an impressive church that invites the next generation to participate right now. And I want to be an impressive church that inspires the next generation to live out and write their own story of faith in their culture in real time running into their generation for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. Lord, I love you. And I am so grateful that we have the opportunity to be in relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would help us to be an impressive church that's committed to leaving a lasting impression on the next generation. We're ordinary people but you're an extraordinary God. And I pray that they would see, know, hear the wow factor of God as they watch our lives, such that it would inspire them to lives of faith in this adventure of following Jesus. Help us, I pray. Bring much glory and attention to Jesus because of it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, guys, it's a privilege to be with you each weekend. And uh, for some of you, I might see you at a drive-in this weekend. If you're watching this, we're going to have drive-in services this weekend, Father's Day weekend, Sunday, 8 o'clock, 10.30, and 5.30. So if I see you there, wave, beep your horn, whatever. Next week, June 28th, we're going to begin regathering in the building. We're still asking you to RSVP. So I look forward to seeing you guys in the building. There will be services Sunday, traditional service, 8 o'clock. Then contemporary, 10.30 and 5.30 Sunday. That's going to be an opportunity for you to come, us worship together. You're going to bring your kids to that service. So we're just simply going to begin a conversation. Uh, little stories that have really big ideas is the name of the conversation. We also, during this time, are going to offer services on Wednesday. So you can be checking that out in your RSVP. And so some of you are like, man, i got a family. i got young kids. They'll never come and be able to sit through a Sunday. Well, these Wednesday services are simply targeting families with, with kids and like we're going to have the same conversation, little stories, big ideas. And so you can come, bring your kids to that. Parents, we want you to be in that service with your kids on Wednesdays. 
and it'll be an opportunity for us to just kind of begin regathering as a church. We look forward to seeing you. We're praying for you as we walk this time together. And here's my hope, that we're a church that leaves a lasting impression on the next generation. God bless you.